So if you are joining us today for the first time, we are in the third part of a five-part series that we have been doing called For the Glory of God, examining what the Bible teaches us about worship. As I said a couple of weeks ago, not what I think about worship, not what you think about worship, but we want to go back to the text and see what the Bible teaches about this subject of worship. And so the very first Sunday in January, we talked about who we worship. And then we talked about why we worship last week. And so today, we're going to get a little bit more practical, but we needed those first two sermons to kind of lay the foundation before we can move into some of the more practical aspects of worship. So today, we're going to be focusing on corporate worship. And I use the word corporate not to mean that this is a corporation, but corporate worship means when we as a body collectively gather together in this room. And what makes this sermon so ironic now is that we're not gathered in this room. We're scattered all over the place watching this virtually. But there is something that happens when the people of God gather together and worship in the same place collectively. One of the most difficult aspects for me during this pandemic has been the many, many weeks that we have not been able to gather in this room. We've been scattered all over the place. And there's something that you miss when the people of God do not gather together in the room. There's something that you miss when you can't hear the voices, when you can't see the faces, when you can't see people bowing their heads together in prayer. And so today we're going to go back to the text, three texts actually, and see what does the Bible have to say about what the worship service should look like. When we gather together as a church, what information does the Bible give us about what this service should look like? And so we're going to begin in the Gospel of Luke, and then we're going to move into Acts, and then we're going to move into Colossians. So we're going to jump around, but we're going to begin in Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll And gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Now turn over to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. This is in the context of the church experiencing persecution for the very first time. Chapter 4 beginning in verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them? Who through the mouth of our father David 
your servants, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and, when they, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now jump over one more time to the book of Colossians chapter 3. And the Apostle Paul writes this. Chapter, uh, verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual thongs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Three separate texts, three separate points I want to emphasize to you today. Number one, the early church focused on the proclamation of the word of God. Number two, they focused on prayers to God. And number three, they sang spiritual songs to God. So we're going to unpack each of those today. Number one, they focused on the proclamation of the word of God. Luke chapter 4. Luke's gospel gets Jesus very quickly into the synagogue. So we have Jesus being born, we have his baptism, we have him being tempted by Satan, and then almost immediately Jesus works his way into the church setting. And he picks up a scroll of the book of Isaiah and he reads it. Now here's what I love about this passage. Notice that Jesus simply reads the text. He doesn't provide any illustrations. He doesn't provide any funny stories. He doesn't expound upon the text at all. He gets up, he reads from the scroll of Isaiah, and Luke tells us he sits back down. The word of God is sufficient. It doesn't need our help. We could gather in a corporate worship setting and do nothing for the whole hour except read the word of God and that would be worship. In fact, Jesus does this and look at the response of the people in verse 22. It tells us, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. The word of God can stand on its own. The word of God does not need me. The word of God does not need you. It is sufficient. It is everything that we need. And in this story that Luke provides for us, Jesus is showing us that the word of God can stand on its own. 
Even the greatest teacher who ever lived, Jesus, does not provide you with some sermon in this passage. He simply reads the text and he sits down and the people were moved as a result. Hebrews 4.12, one of the verses that I quote to you guys regularly. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God, the proclamation of the word of God is not just one element of the worship service. It is the centerpiece of everything that we do when we gather together in worship. Just the mere fact that we read God's word is worship. The Bible is God's revelation to you and me. Have you ever heard somebody ask you, or maybe you've asked this before as well, I don't ever feel like God is speaking to me. How can God speak to me? I want God to speak to me. That's a great question to ask, and the answer to this question is quite simple. God has spoken to you in his word. Do you want the will of God revealed to you? Then you need to go to God's word. The word of God is him speaking to you. Now granted, God doesn't speak audibly to us in the way that he spoke to Abraham or in the way that he spoke to Moses. But technically speaking, if you were to read your Bible out loud, then you have heard God audibly speaking to you. Because the word of God is revealed to us in the pages of this book. It is everything that we need for life. And so when we gather together corporately as a body, we want to proclaim the word of God, read the word of God, because it is so vital to the worship service. And that is what Jesus shows us in this passage. It's not just important to hear from God in our personal time with him, but it's also important to hear from God and to proclaim his word when we gather together in this room. Because when we hear the word of God proclaimed corporately, it unifies us. It humbles us. It moves us to confession and repentance. And it moves us to praise for who God is. This is why it's so important that we preach the entire counsel of God's word. This is why we have done this study, the Old Testament in 2020, and we'll begin the New Testament in a few weeks in 2021. We need to hear the whole counsel of God. My sermons are not just topics that I come up with and then I build Bible verses around it. No, I want the text to be the foundation of every sermon that I preach. The text is what builds the sermon. The sermon is not what crafts the meaning of the text. And so it's important as we move from Genesis to Revelation that we understand that the centerpiece of the church of Jesus Christ gathering together is the proclamation of the word of God. But we also see another point that we read from the book of Acts. Prayers to God are a vital aspect of the corporate worship setting. Now here's what's happening in the book of Acts. The disciples, the apostles, have experienced persecution for the very first time as the church. They had healed a lame beggar, 
And now there are people uncomfortable with the message of Jesus. People are beginning to wonder and ask, what are these guys doing? I don't like what's happening here. And I think it's important to notice a few things that happen after the apostles initially experience persecution. The first thing that they do is they go to God in prayer. They don't build an argument to go and defend their case before the council. They don't become aggressive and go and storm the temple doors to prove their point. They simply gather together as the church and they go to God in prayer with humility, asking him to take control of their lives and to give them boldness to go forward and proclaim the message. And if I were to be honest with you this morning, I don't always do that personally. When trouble comes my way or when difficult conversations or difficult decisions have to be made, I'm more inclined to think up of a plan to come up with some reasons or arguments first. And then only after that will I pray to God for confirmation for the decision that I have already made. That is not how the early church operated. They went to the Lord first and they sought his guidance and his direction before they made decisions. In this passage, they are fearful because persecution had come upon them for the very first time and they get down on their knees in humility and they ask God for help and they ask him for boldness. And the very first aspect of their prayer is they acknowledge the sovereignty of God. They say that he is God over heaven above and over the earth below and over every living creature that has ever been on the face of the earth. Do we, as a church, believe that God is sovereign? Do we believe that he's sovereign over the universe? Do we believe that he is sovereign over our nation? Do we believe that he is sovereign over our families and our jobs and our personal lives? If you believe in the sovereignty of God, then you have nothing to worry about. Because God is in complete control of everything that happens and he will provide for our every need just as he did the early church in Acts. So they go on and they, they pray for boldness that no matter what might happen to them as a result of following Jesus, they would remain faithful to God and not be afraid to move forward proclaiming the name of Jesus. And the result of this prayer were given in verse 31 of Acts 4. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. When the church of Jesus Christ gathers together and prays in unity for boldness, the Spirit transforms the hearts of people. So it's confession time once again. Now, I've only been your pastor for about 15 months, but I'm confessing to you that in our time together in this room, we have not spent enough time in prayer. 
Sure, we've started the service with prayer and we've ended the service in prayer and we might have used a prayer in the middle as a point of transition, but I have not done a good enough job making prayer an intentional part of the corporate gathering. And so in the weeks ahead, I'm going to intentionally plan out ways that we as a church, when we are gathered together in this room, can have intentional moments and times of prayer. Prayers of adoration, where we praise God for who he is. Prayers of confession, where we get on our knees and confess our sin to God and repent of our sin. Prayers of thanksgiving, where we thank God for all of the ways that he has provided for us, not only individually, but as a church. And then moments in the service where we get down on our knees and we intercede for our brothers and sisters, those that are dealing with cancer and COVID and the loss of a job or a family that is being ripped apart by divorce, we get on our knees and we intercede for those in our midst. Now, here's what's this gonna mean. This is gonna mean that we might not get out in 60 minutes. Our service might actually have to be longer than what it's had to be in the past. But I'm convinced that we as a church need to build in intentional moments where we are in prayer to God, more than just a prayer to start the service and end the service, but moments where we are very intentional about praying intentional prayers to God for specific purposes. And I hope to do that in the days ahead. We must rely on God's wisdom when we gather together corporately in this setting we, as a church, need to be on our knees together, praying to God for all that he has done for us. So not only do we see the proclamation of the word of God, and then we see prayers to God, and then number three, we see in the early church that they sang spiritual songs to God. Did you know, however, that in the New Testament, Every time the word for worship is used, it is never used in the context of singing. Now, don't freak out. We're not going to eliminate singing or praises of God through music. I'm just trying to show you that in the New Testament, when the word worship is used, it is never in the context of singing. Now, singing is a vital component of the service. Music is a vital part of what we do. But in the early church, the music was not the centerpiece of what that service was about. Nine Marks is an organization that I follow really closely. It's based out of Washington, D.C. They wrote an article some months ago, and the article posed this question. What is corporate worship for? Now, we could make an argument that there are a number of reasons why we gather together corporately, but the primary reason that they give in this article is that the reason we gather together, obviously it's to glorify God, but it's also to edify the church. It's to build up everyone in the room. So we gather together on Sunday mornings to edify 
the church of Jesus Christ, to encourage one another, to build it up. So what should our singing and worship ultimately do? The goal of our singing is to edify the church. The goal of proclaiming the word of God is to edify the church. The goal of praying to God in worship is to edify the church. And if the primary reason we gather is to edify the body, then here's the question they pose in their article. In other words, the priority of edification means that all questions of style and preference are radically subordinate to questions of content. So let's take this in the context of our singing. What matters when we sing is the content that we are singing. Style and preference are subordinate to the contents of what it is that we actually sing. Now, this morning we sang one of my favorite songs, King of Kings. And in that song, we have gospel truth. From the first line to the last line, that entire song is sharing with us the truth of the gospel story. And I want to read the lyrics to you once again, even though we sang them this morning. Here's what it says. In the darkness, we were waiting without hope, without light, till from heaven you came running. There was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets. To a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt to reveal the kingdom coming and to reconcile the lost, to redeem the whole creation. You did not despise the cross for even in your suffering, you saw to the other side, knowing this was our salvation. Jesus, for our sake, you died. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. In the morning that you rose, all of heaven held its breath till that stone was moved for good, for the Lamb had conquered death. And the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who'd come to the Father are restored. And the church of Christ was born, then the Spirit lit the flame. Now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel, shall not faint. By his blood and in his name and in his freedom I am free for the love of Jesus Christ who has resurrected me. That song is full of rich gospel content. When we evaluate the songs that we sing every single week, we are looking at the lyrics at what we sing. You should be studying the lyrics to see if they are moving you more towards the gospel. This song was written in 2019. Now, let me read another one for you. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains 
The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there have I, though vile as he, washed all my sins away. Washed all my sins away. And there have I, though vile as he, washed all my sins away. Ere since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. That's another song. And it was written in 1772. The reason I use these two songs is to communicate to you that whether a song is written in 2020 or 1770, if it communicates gospel truth, then we will sing it. Whether it has piano, guitar, drums, organ, the goal of everything that we sing is to communicate gospel truth. Sadly, many of our churches today, sometimes even us, we will leave either satisfied with the service or dissatisfied with the service based solely on the songs that we sing on Sunday morning. Even though we've just shown as we've unpacked our way through these texts that singing is just one aspect of what constitutes a worship service. Perhaps there are some that prefer more traditional songs and there might be some that prefer more contemporary songs but as we have already looked at gospel truth can be communicated in the lyrics of both traditional music and contemporary music so regardless of whether or not we prefer the sound of the instruments surrounding a song we can leave knowing that the gospel has been proclaimed that truth has been taught Singing is one aspect of what it means to gather together corporately as the church. We proclaim the word of God, we pray to God, and we sing spiritual songs to God. And as long as all three of those elements of our worship exist when we gather in this room, we know that we are doing what the Bible teaches us about corporate worship. A few weeks ago, I I shared with you one of the books that I've been researching as I've been preparing for this sermon series, and the name of the book was Grand Entrance. And the author of the book pointed out five flaws that she finds as she went and observed many worship services in North America. And I want to remind you about what those five observations were that she made. Number one, trivializing worship with an emphasis on the mood or the atmosphere. Number two, misdirecting worship by making it man-centered rather than God-centered. In other words, there are many people that either view the worship service successfully based off whether the regular preacher is there or the regular worship leader is there. 
But in reality, worship is not about me. It's not about Abby. It is about God. So regardless of who is singing the songs or who is proclaiming the truth of God's word, if the elements that we studied this morning are in the service, then we have worshiped God. Number three, deadening worship by removing the word of God from the service. Focusing more on just a speaker giving a speech instead of grounding the sermon in the biblical text. Number four, perverting worship with emotional, self-indulgent experiences at the cost of true liturgy. And then number five, exploiting worship with market-driven values. In other words, let's just do whatever we have to do to get as many people in the room as we possibly can. These are the flaws that this author found in North American worship as she studied it. Now, I want to be very, very cautious here this morning. Every church around the country and around the world has to do what they feel like God is leading them to do. So this sermon is, is not a critique about any other forms of worship or any other churches. Pastors and leaders all around the world need to do exactly what God is leading them to do. I'm talking about our worship here at First Baptist Dothan. When we gather together, there are three aspects of our worship that we are going to be very intentional about. It is going to always be word-centered. We are going to proclaim the word of God faithfully in our services every single week. Number two, we are going to be intentional in praying. We are going to spend lengthy times in our service, getting on our knees before God, confessing our sin to him, repenting of our sin, interceding for brothers and sisters in Christ, interceding for those that we know in our neighborhoods, those that we work with, family members and friends who do not know Jesus. We need to be praying for lost people that we know in our services. And number three, every song that we sing, whether it's with an organ or with an electric guitar, it will be rich in gospel content. It will lead us into deeper understanding of what it meant for Jesus to come and live the perfect life and die the death that we deserve. That is what our worship, our corporate worship, when we gather together in this room, is going to be comprised of. And elements of preference and elements of style, they're always going to take a back seat to the three things that I mentioned. The focus of our service is on God and everything that he has done for us. This may sound harsh, but it needs to be said. Guess what? When we gather together for worship, it is not about you. It is not about me. It is not about you leaving on some emotional high every single week. I have been guilty as your pastor of leaving worship some weeks. And if the room was full, I chalked that up to being a successful worship service. And if the room was not full, I chalked it up to being a failure of a worship service. But what we have seen as we studied these texts today is that the amount of people in the room has nothing to do with whether or not we have truly worshiped God. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this deep dive into 
the New Testament picture of, of what worship is. And God, I confess to you that I am guilty of all of the style and preference things that we've talked about today. I have left many a worship service feeling like I didn't get anything out of that service because it wasn't emotional enough for me or because I didn't like the songs that we sang. But God, as we learned this morning, worship is not about style and preference. It's about the gospel. It's about communicating the truth of what Jesus has done for us. So forgive me of my trivializing worship. God, I pray that you would continue to prepare our church and help us as a church to imitate the examples that we have in Scripture about what constitutes biblical worship. We're never going to be perfect. We're sinners. We're always going to fall short. But help us to keep our worship word-centered. Help us to be on our knees in prayer and help us to sing spiritual songs that communicate gospel content. And God, I fully believe that if we keep those three pillars on the forefront of our minds as we plan worship, it will be honoring to you. Thank you for your love for us. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.